Are you ready for a Bitcoin rally if we see one in Q4 of 2023? I know that I am, but we also know that nothing is certain. That said, today's guest, David Jung, came on the show not so long ago, wrote reports about it saying it was time to be defensive in Q3, but also looking very optimistic about the prospects for Q4. We're going to discuss that and everything else that we've got going on in this market. And then, of course, on the back, I've got everybody's favorite trader, Big Cheds, coming to discuss charts and trades. You guys don't want to miss this one. Let's go. That's dope. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. Guys, as I said, Q3, not that great. Everybody expected a rough September and seemingly we got it, although we're coming out of it relatively unscathed. It feels like it was more of a sideways than doom. Just feels to me like right now, 26,000 is the natural home for Bitcoin in this part of the cycle, excuse me, <clears throat> and any news to the up or downside really just eventually comes back to its home. It's like Happy Gilmore. Go to your home. Are you too good for your home? Bitcoin's home is seemingly $26,000. I'm going to go ahead and bring on the guests now. I've got David Young here, head of institutional research at Coinbase. We, we got on here right before, and I found out you were also in Singapore staying in the hotel with all the McLaren drivers they had like, you know, big signs and, and the simulators in the lobby. That's where I went uh, to meet Oscar Piastri. What, what, were, what were your thoughts uh, on uh, the Singapore experience and also, of course, on uh, being in that hotel? Well, I mean, the hotel itself, I was on the elevator with the McLaren crew uh, at various points in the day. So that, that was just kind of cool. But uh, I'd say overall, the vibe was awesome in Singapore. I don't know how you felt, but like, I, I thought it was electric. Like everyone I thought it was absolutely was electric and could not have been polar, more polar opposite of what I've seen with sentiment in the United States, certainly sentiment at con conferences in the U.S. Did you by any chance go to permissionless? Like, Because uh, a lot of people went from permissionless to token 2049 and said it was just absolutely bipolar. And last year, you and I were at Mainnet in New York. You were supposed to go to right. Token 2049, but you had a yeah. passport issue. I flew off to Token 2049. We were planning to meet in Singapore, and I had the same sentiment even a year ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, like, we, we talk about different things. You know, in the U.S., it's so heavily focused on regulatory and what's going to happen. And the Bitcoin, like, spot ETF is just hanging on everyone's uh, heads, and for better or worse. Whereas Singapore, you don't really talk about that. You know, like, I felt like... Everyone in Token 249 was just talking about building, which was what's great. You know, like different interests, sure. People were there, we're talking about gaming, the metaverse, NFTs, where you know, we've seen, of course, NFT activity drop off pretty, pretty sharply. Uh, but you don't you don't hear that same kind of conversation in the US as much. Yeah, there was literally no negative conversation at all, in my opinion. Hasib Qureshi, I actually I, I had a podcast with him that came out on Sunday. We sat down maybe last Wednesday at Token 2049, right when I had basically landed. And he made the point that SBF has loomed over basically everything. And in the United States, we think that's the case everywhere in the world, but that he was just like a one-week news story in Asia. Yeah. You know, that basically like he's, we're obsessed with him. He was an American celebrity. It was an American company. It was the American government that came down on him. And just like if a huge executive of a company committed fraud in China, we would probably see it in the news for one day. That's effectively what SBF was to the international market. And they've just moved on ages ago. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, I got the exact same impression. Like here, I'm kind of like, oh, when's his trial date? What, what, what's the clawback that they're doing? His parents are involved now. What? I, I don't feel like that's the same kind of news cycle that you get over in Asia. Well, I have to say, I think that the American media is inherently become gossip. And TMZ, I can literally see in the comments, and I swore I wasn't going to say anything, but I only came for the BitBoy drama. When BitBoy, does anyone believe it's only steroids? I'm just going to tell you guys, if you're here for BitBoy drama and conversation, this is not TMZ and find another channel. It's not what we're going to do. Anyways, so let's move on to the actual topic now that we've uh, talked about how exciting things are in Asia, because I came back really reinvigorated, you know, and that's happened to me every time I leave the country and go to a crypto conference. 
and we have the title here. The Bitcoin rally is coming. Are you ready? Okay, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit clickbaity, but you had the, this research was in August uh, 18th and you came on the show, as I said, and you said, listen, Q3, we have very low expectations, probably going to be down at best, some pretty depressing chop, you know, but um, now let's look to Q4. What, what are your thoughts on what we have coming now that we're entering October uh, in a few days? I mean, it's not going to be precisely at the beginning of Q4, but I think a lot of people... By the way, though, I think it was two years ago that, or maybe it was two or three years ago that literally on October 1st, September was a miserable month and price went up like 20% on October 1st. But yeah, <laughs> I don't expect that. No, of course. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I do think people suffer from recency bias, you know? So like you were saying, like, Oh, we're stuck at 26,000. Like, are, are we just going to keep staying stuck at 26,000? I've been hearing the same rhetoric. I've been hearing all around. People were just like, well, it's been down. It's going to continue being down. I'm like, well, not, not really. I mean, my thesis, and this was really back in May and reiterated in, in August, you know, I said that Q3 was going to be tough. It was always going to be tough. And that's why you had to be defensive. I didn't say that you should short anything. I just wanted people to know that you have to be patient here. You kind of have to wait out that quarter because just, you know, not just the macro environment, but the way people were positioned, it just didn't lend itself to actually seeing a lot of upside. But the good thing about crypto now is that we've been washed out. Like a lot of prices are washed out. This is why after we got the FOMC last week, for example, you saw a move in stocks, but really the impact on crypto is still fairly limited. The correlation is low and it's kind of showing its colors. Problem is that I think that we have a lot of things waiting in the wings right now. And so there will be another spurt of just probably short-term volatility, just because I still think it's very likely we're going to get a U.S. government shutdown, for example. We really haven't seen a resolution to the United Auto Workers things. But I think those things are actually going to work in the favor of crypto, even if they work against probably some risk assets like equities. It's interesting. So you bring up, obviously, the shutdown. That was the next story that I sort of had queue up. U.S. shutdown, assuming it doesn't run long, will slow, not cripple crypto efforts. A lot of people were pointing out, listen, we have these bills. They're coming through. If the government shuts down, nobody's going to be talking about them. Let's be realistic. They're making it through committee. They might make it past Congress, a few of them. They're all dead on arrival at the Senate and certainly at the executive branch. So right now, regardless of a shutdown, it's my opinion that we're just planting seeds. Right. There's nothing. Nothing's getting passed that's crypto favorable, certainly before the next election. I mean, it's just not with the, the two. The Senate is too much controlled by Elizabeth Warren and the Democrats just not going to happen. Yeah. As far as crypto legislation is concerned, I think uh, Patrick Toomey, who's you know, he's an ex-senator, but he's long been an advocate for crypto. Uh, he's still very clued into all this stuff. And he said a few days ago that effectively, even if the stuff gets out of House committee, even the stuff gets through the House, even, it's very unlikely it's going to get through the Senate. Uh, but some of that cuts, you know, it cuts two ways, because you also see that Elizabeth Warren has also been trying to rally uh, for her kind of crypto-related legislation. It's very unlikely that that's going to get off the ground as well. So, you know, like, I, I think you kind of, <laughs> you take the good with, with the bad. But I think with the government shutdown in particular, um, you know, we're also seeing that senators are proposing a lot of ways to kind of resolve this, but this impasse probably is going to stick around. I mean, it, it won't get through the House because, you know, there's a lot of House Republicans who believe that, you know, anything right now is just a fiscal problem and basically they're going to keep rejecting. Yeah. The upshot on that is that you're also going to get, you know, the SEC like 90% of their staff is going to be furloughed. So that's also going to throw a bit of a wrench into our plans with regards to ETF applications, all that kind of stuff as well. ETF applications, but does it also affect their ongoing court cases? Like the case against Binance, the case against Coinbase, the thousand other cases of things we've never heard of that they're just tackling as low-hanging fruit? I didn't even look into that. I definitely thought about the fact that we certainly won't see any ETF applications approved. Holy yeah. crap. I got to show you this. By the way, I just clicked onto the story about uh, options expiry and you're on there uh, speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got freaked out. I was like, thought I was seeing double or something. Anyways, we can go back to that. But that, the there you are uh, being I mean, interviewed so on like Coindesk. <laughs> Very funny. So yeah, but uh, I definitely thought of it from the ETF angle, but could this also just slow any of the court cases? I mean, that's what uh, we, we have to kind of watch for, you know, like, 
a, a friend pointed out that, you know, like these people who are furloughed in the government will eventually get back pay. Some of them sometimes offer to actually work uh, pro bono for a period of time as well. So I, I don't know, like that, that all, all that stuff kind of factors into the, you know, ultimate outcome. And, I, and I'm not really sure. So, yeah, I, I, either way though, the government gets refunded and things pick back up. And I don't think that anything we're looking for is on such a tight time frame that it's going to be meaningful. I mean, I have seen, and certainly the shutdown would probably come after that, but I have seen a lot of conjecture. Mike Novogratz just said that we're going to see very bullish ETF news in October, right? Who knows if he knows something or if that's just uh, playing to the press. But I've seen a lot of people saying they think the Valkyrie Ethereum futures ETF blended with Bitcoin futures because it's so similar to the Bitcoin product is likely to be approved in a week. Ne sometime next week. I think October 2nd is the date for that. Yeah, I think the significance of that as well is there's still this probability or that, like, you know, the, the SEC could always revoke a Bitcoin futures ETF because they could either appeal to the Supreme Court, they could either appeal to the uh, broader U.S. District Court of Appeals, or they can say, you thought we were being capricious and arbitrary about our decisions in terms of approving a futures-based ETF, but not a spot one. Well, then we'll just revoke a futures one, which, of course, will introduce a lot of legal liability for them. Um, but if they do approve this Valkyrie ETF, then what it's saying is very like uh, it's very unlikely they could go that re uh, revoking ETF route, which doesn't leave them with other uh, uh, with other possibilities in terms of what they can do. They're definitely at a rock and a hard place either way, as you describe it. I mean, they, the optics for the SEC are bad no matter what happens, I think, at this point. And you got to love that, for, frankly, as a you know crypto enthusiast and watching what's happened in this space. It's been nice to see at least the pendulum swing slightly back. But I want to zoom back in on Q4, right? I kind of interrupted you. Uh, October or whatever, I don't think it'll happen just on October 1st. But what is the general premise even considering the four-year cycle and all the things in macro government shutdowns, what's the premise that we could see a more bullish Q4? Yeah, so I think in terms of crypto, the crypto-specific catalysts are kind of well-known at this point. A lot of it hangs on what does a you know ETF approval kind of look like or what does a regulatory environment kind of becoming more certain in the U.S. kind of look like. And, and those things are going to be in the background. But Strictly speaking from the macro point of view, what I think is going to happen, this is my timeline of, of events, I think that we get a shutdown, probably there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction, negative for a lot of risk assets, i.e. equities, which will impact crypto to some extent. But there's also going to be a contingent of people who are going to say, actually, you know what, like Bitcoin as an alternative to a lot of fiscal messes, like the one that we're getting into, that's a good deal. Like at least like it's it's... It's the hedge for things like this. So I think that people are going to recognize that. But then getting further into it, things like the Fed saying, hey, you know, the economy is doing well. Uh, we still need to keep inflation under control. Well, we have an auto worker strike, for example. That's definitely going to put negative pressure on GDP for Q3. Uh, they won't have the data if we go into a shutdown. We, they won't have the data for inflation. Uh, so they can't really make a decision without that as well. Uh, you're going to see student loan repayments need to get like made uh, starting in October. Uh, so all these things, I think, are going to put pressure on them not to do anything when it comes to the November FOMC, which really kind of sets itself up for a nice rally uh, into that from that meeting into December. So this is kind of what I'm looking forward to because crypto is going to play right into that, given all the benefits of what crypto kind of represents. I find it amazing that the best case scenario for assets is for the government to just step out of the way and basically be broken. <laughs> I've always thought that maybe that's the best way forward for America at this point is just a gridlock and, and nothingness. But uh, I don't know if that certainly plays out. Now, in a vacuum, what if we had no news, no good news, no bad news? Do you look at the four-year cycle and say, listen, this is what happens six months before having, eight months before having, I expect... I mean, I just kind of anecdotally, I look at it and I say, in a year, things will probably be higher. It will be six months after the halving. And that's what's happened before. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll happen again, but it's the most likely case. I thought it was interesting that Marathon Digital, like one of the big public Bitcoin miners, 
uh, actually commented on this. And he effectively said, like, he thinks the impact that the having actually has on Bitcoin prices uh, is diminishing, you know, and I don't think that's particularly wrong uh, per se. I, I think that if you look at the actual evidence, because we really only have three incidences of the Bitcoin having to really and only two by. count. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Uh, and really, the only one that I think you can actually look at it and say the Bitcoin having had a in, like meaningful impact on price is the one in 2020, because you can actually take out liquidity out of the equation. You know, you just do a factor analysis, super simple. You take that out and just say like. Boom, like, let's look at the price. How does that measure up against the halving itself? And you actually see that that had an impact in terms of positive performance. But you don't really see that in other instances, the, the two previous instances, you know, that was kind of commingled with all these other issues, like a US debt ceiling crisis, for example, or the Brexit in, I think, 2016. So I think that uh, those things kind of make it more difficult to kind of determine what the actual impact of it was, even once you factor out liquidity, once you even after you factor out rates and other things from the equation. So simply looking at the chart and saying, here's the halving, here's price six months later is a dramatic oversimplification. <laughs> I personally think so. Like this is why I like to do factor analysis because I want to take out, because you there's so many things going on at any one time. Like for like a, a, one person to be able to kind of look at it and say like, Oh yeah, like it was 100% one factor. It, it just seems very antithetical to our understanding of things. So for me, like I like to say like, what else could have been? Let's take those factors out. And then what we're left with most likely is probably just for you in this case, the Bitcoin having, for example. Okay, but when we talk about a bullish Q4, are we talking about the spark of the next massive bull run and next massive bull market? Or is it kind of like, hey, maybe we'll be up at 30. And who knows what happens in Q1? Like when we talk about the, you know, a rally in Q4, put it in context longer term. Yeah, I think one of the issues I have, and, you know, so keep in mind, I'm very constructive on Q4. I think it's going to happen. I think it's as much about the fact that people are, don't really have a lot of positions here. Like if you look yeah. at the stable coin uh, dominance, for example, we're at 11.6%. So it's, kind of low at this point there's not a lot to kind of put in there the issue is you do need to have those flows so you know what worries me is that every day we come around without any major catalyst in here are we looking at a lower top side right now i'd say like probably upside uh is probably capped around the 200 day moving average which is still higher than the max pain point we see on like the like ex expiry, uh, the option expiry for September 29th, for That's example. That's about 28,000. You're talking about the weekly 200? Yeah. 28,000 yeah. ish, just for context. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, you know, it might be a, a tad higher than that, but like, I, I think that's a good framework for thinking about like where we are. So I think the max pain point is somewhere at 26,500, which I think is somewhat a little, little low. Um, but at the same time, you know, like, trying to think where else can we be as far as, you know, getting the, these catalysts. It worries me that we're not going to have something beyond this. I, I think we, we like the ETF is huge. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I want to see other things kind of come into the framework, which is why I'm trying to think what else will motivate people. Like if we had that perfect blend of people going like, you know what? I'm very worried about what's going to happen with the U.S. fiscal situation. And I think that will happen as we approach like uh, first quarter 2024, which is also going to coincide with the monetary easing, which is also coinciding with the halving, which is going to coincide with the ETF. I think all of that is what makes me optimistic. And I think and people aren't going to play just in Q1. They're going to move it ahead into fourth quarter. So that's kind of how I see this playing out. And an election year, right? So uh, Caitlin Long came on and she kind of made that point. She said, listen, if the halving cycle is real, we start to see really high prices next, uh, next September and October, right? As all the presidents are being asked, presidential candidates are being asked questions about Bitcoin. And we all know nothing gets more voters excited about Bitcoin than higher prices on Bitcoin. Literally the only thing that will bring more people caring and, and calling their senators and Congress people and asking questions to presidential candidates than if simply the price was higher. I mean, if Bitcoin's $50,000 in September or October next year, 
there's going to be a hell of a lot more people considering it when when they vote. So I think that that's another potential, right? I mean, we have no idea what it will be, but uh, I like that narrative. You brought up obviously here, and here you are again. Crypto traders brace for nearly five billion Bitcoin and Ether options at expiry. It's kind of funny because the max they're saying that we're bracing for it, right? In three days, but the max pain point is twenty six thousand five hundred for Bitcoin and sixteen fifty for Ether. Obviously, Bitcoin is currently twenty six thousand two hundred. And Ether is currently 1586. So, I mean, we are just sniffing a couple hundred dollars or tens of dollars away from these on both these assets. So, really, the most likely scenario here is boring and sideways by that rationale. This tends to happen when we talk about options yeah, in time. general. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, uh, do you rely on like the options to inform the spot price or do you rely on the spot price to inform the options, uh, expiries and the, the, uh, the strike prices? And I tend to think that it's more the latter. You know, it's like <laughs> you're, you're paying attention to the spot price in order to kind of play that options market, which is why it tends to be so close to those same levels. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, there's one person, certainly, who is not afraid to buy Bitcoin at these prices and has continued to uh, buy Bitcoin at any price, uh, regardless of market sentiment or timing. MicroStrategy bought 5,444 Bitcoin for $150 million since August. I love just how casually he just buys now, like 10, hundreds of millions of dollars worth. But uh, that, <laughs> uh, so that was at an average of 27053 per per Bitcoin, inclusive of fees and expenses. People love to say that he bought the top. Uh, to me, 27,000 is not the top, yeah. um, you know, and uh, this adds to their just absolutely massive stack of 158,245 Bitcoin, $4.68 billion at an average price of 29,582. I mean, what do you think in general about MicroStrategy continuing to just take every penny they can find in a couch cushion, every uh, bond they had from their bar mitzvah and put it into uh, Bitcoin here. So I've heard that same criticism leveled against them of like, hey, you never, never uh, deny a chance to buy at the top. But if you have a long term view and Michael Saylor and definitely does, uh, you know, you might say that looking back on it when Bitcoin's maybe trading substantially higher that actually he's doing well. So I think that's the mindset he's coming from. He's not coming from a short-term investor looking to sell this off. Uh, he, he's buying and holding or hodling, whatever you want to want to say. Um, and that's kind of the perspective. So I think that that also kind of supports uh, some of what I'm seeing right now because yeah, you're, you're seeing a lot of upside in terms of the flows as well. I mean, he's buying, Tether's likely going to be buying because you know they've announced that every quarter they're going to be accumulating some Bitcoin, for example. Uh, you're not going to get the selling pressure from Mt. Gox anymore. So, um, I mean, all of that kind of like lends itself to, to some of the positive, what I would call technicals in this market. We've been fearing, I just laughed because we've been fearing the selling pressure of Mt. Cox Bitcoin since literally the day that I got into crypto in 2016. <laughs> it's been a per pervasive narrative that was always going to dump the market. I was actually trying to place if there's ever been a time, we've certainly had black swan events where there were major forced selling, but if there's ever been a time where one of these narratives that was telegraphed, like there will be this thing happening, that will be forced selling, everybody panic has ever played out. I mean, we even have the United States government saying they would sell all of the Silk Road Bitcoin in three tranches, and they've likely done it, and we haven't noticed it in the market, per se. Yeah, you know, like, I think with uh, these kinds of things, I mean, in the case of Mt. Gox in particular, I mean, it's a it's a logistical nightmare, right? Like, this is them trying to redistribute funds in 100 countries, all with their own, like, different laws that they have to respect, like much less like different languages that they don't may or may not know and, and need to kind of figure out. So, I mean, this is this is not easy for them. And I think this kind of reflects that. Yeah, I want to ask a question that I just thought of and I don't really know the answer to and maybe you don't either. With If we get a spot ETF approval, a BlackRock ETF, for example, what does that mean for MicroStrategy as a stock? Oh, that's a good question. There's so many people who have been buying it as a proxy for the ETF. Does that take the shine off of MicroStrategy's stock and sort of decorrelate it a bit from basically becoming this de facto ETF? 
So we can't know the answer because we're speculating on this. But what I would guess is that probably, you know, and this doesn't just pertain to MicroStrategy. I think this pertains to a lot of what we are using right now is Bitcoin proxies. That includes like the futures, miners, ETF, for example, ETF, yeah. um, like public miners. You know, like there will probably be some kind of rebalancing because now if you can get access to a, an instrument that tracks the spot Bitcoin price more closely, well, why wouldn't I want to buy that instead? You know, like, so I don't think that this means we won't get net positive inflows. I think that will still happen. But yeah, there'll probably be like some outflows from other things, inflows into the spot Bitcoin ETFs if they are, if and when they're approved. Um, and, you know, that's going to be part of the course. This is probably why we're seeing a lot of like the futures ETFs, for example, start to try to say, hey, what other things can we do? Should we do a blended Bitcoin ETH futures ETF instead? Like, uh, should we do a like 2x uh, Bitcoin ETF, which we already have one, you know, like, like they're going to be looking for other ways to um, differentiate themselves. Quickly, someone said here a comment. I read a story about MicroStrategy that if he had put it into ETH, then he would be better off. That to me is just what about ism nonsense. There's always another asset just for, the, for that thinking. I'm not saying this to DemiGeek, I'm saying this to whoever wrote that story. There's always another better performing asset. Like, uh, why not just say, well, gosh, if MicroStrategy had put all their money in NVIDIA at the bottom, look where they'd be now, right? And I don't really see any connection there between Ethereum as a choice versus Bitcoin. And those equivalencies just drive me nuts. Oh, you Paul's have equivalent. to think about the risk and reward. It's not about just the reward. Like anything can like 10x or 5x or 3x. Well, not, not anything, but you know what I mean? Like, the possibility of something doing that exists, but what level of risk are you taking to achieve that gain? Like, this is the whole point. Like finance in my mind, isn't like I, I've been, I was in finance for 17 years and it does not like, it's the most difficult job in the world. Like they are gonna come after me now. But what's <laughs> hard is like balancing those two things isn't as easy as, as they just, it's just two things, but you know, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, kind of like me saying, hey, man, price is higher six months after the uh, Bitcoin, ha Bitcoin halving. It's definitely going to be that way again next time. <laughs> right. Like, do I, what, what level of chances do I want to take that that's going to happen is really the question. You know, that's, that's like if I was if it was a sure thing, everyone would pile into it. But it's not. That's that's yeah. really what it comes down to. Totally agree, David. Well, man, always love your perspective. Thank you. It was fun watching an interview with you while doing an interview with you. That was very meta. Uh, experience for me. I didn't expect you to pop up on the screen on the other side, but now you guys can see how credible our guests are. Obviously, we're not the only ones. Uh, here. I don't know if this is a, this means anything about my credibility, but I appreciate that thought. Well, at least we weren't watching TMZ over there, like I said, which is what uh, crypto channels have clearly become. So, dude, thank you very much, everybody. Do, do you do you tweet now? Because I know you changed your name. We talked about this last time. Are you actively tweeting? I'm not actively, but I've I've started to tweet more. I'm starting to I'm, I'm starting to do what the kids kids are doing. Yeah, it's like uh, Steve Buscemi with the skateboard. Hey, fellow kids. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's all of us. I th I think at this point, man. Thank you very much, David. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Scott. Great perspective there, as always. The for him and for Cheds, obviously their Twitter names are down in the description. I've uh, been trying to like gently coax david to start tweeting more on every show but i don't know that i'm having the uh, the the effect that uh i was in intending but really always incredible insight there love to have and and now i don't know why it's been so long since i've had cheds feels like it's been a hundred years but it shouldn't be man how are you what's up man did you and, um i'm good did you get that lambo back i heard you lost a lambo somewhere we're not, we're not doing it um oh sorry <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I, is that is that for you? Didn't real? see my new thumbnail with me like this on top of a stolen. Oh, um, I, I don't know. Man. Is this? I don't get. Is it like performance art, or is he just he just really, really uh, lost the the narrative or whatever the phrase is? I mean, I don't know, man. I, I tweeted I tweeted this earlier today, and I and I kind of stick by it in general. Yeah. I said season one of True Detective was amazing, one of the best shows ever made. Season two was so bad that I never made it through and chose to sit out every subsequent season. Some shows just become terrible. Crypto Twitter is currently on the equivalent of season 12. Oh like, I, I just can't get there with, I don't know why we care. I don't know why anyone cares. Yeah. I think it's just sad. And I'd rather like, even right. if the charts are boring, I'd rather look at them 
Yeah. Then I don't obsess tweet about, about it. that. I don't yeah. tweet about it. Like, what's the why insert yourself into it? And um, weird, man. All right. All right. Yeah, it's sad, sad for these guys, man. Very sad. I, I, it is sad. Just, it's really it's, sad. It's sad. It really is and sad. I'm going to tell you, like, we literally this morning, uh, now I'm talking about it. God damn it. Um, you know, Crypto Town Hall, obviously, we do the Twitter spaces every every uh, day at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I woke up to the usual, like, here's our topics for the day. And I went on, like, a, I can be a kind of a dick. But I went on an epic rant on, like, why this is below us and it's wrong and I think it's just bad and I don't care about the clicks and I'd rather five people watch than 5,000 people watch. It's just how I feel, you know? So Moral, vi- moral um, victories, right? Moral or not, it's just, yeah. like, has the, if my goal with content, if our goal is to, like, get more people into crypto, even if you get yeah. more clicks, that's not bringing more people in. It's just cannibalizing us, you know what I mean? Sure. But anyways, let's talk about charts. What do you got for Bitcoin, man? I want to know where yeah. you stand. I haven't talked to you in a long time. Yeah, how you been, by the way? I've been good. I've good. been good. Had a little had a little of the COVID last week. Uh, that wasn't great, but now I'm, it's, I'm back. It's better than a lot of the COVID. Yeah, it's a, like a, a, a tinge of COVID. Yeah. Hint. All yeah. right, brother. Well, so I had a COVID I mean, reduction. You had a COVID reduction? Yeah, slight COVID reduction. Uh, you know, a nice so chicken marsala about? with a COVID reduction. Chicken marsala Talk about Bitcoin. Reduction. Yeah, what are we talking yeah. about, though? I mean, what is today? What is like a Tuesday? Uh, I mean, it's it's one of the days where Bitcoin's twenty six thousand ish. Yeah, I mean, here's our weekly chart. Um, you know, I mean, we're still in an unconfirmed uptrend that's defined by the price below a rising simple two hundred moving average in the weekly chart of a weekly time frame, right? High time frame, um, and prices above the high time frame breakout level twenty five k, and that's all still true. And so we've been kind of dropping to the daily chart and trying to handicap these moves. Um, you know, and it's a question of like trading versus investing when you got long. And if you're, and there's been opportunities, Scott, we've talked about them, um, to get long. So for example, here on the spring on the false breakdown and recapture, that was a pretty clean entry, but like in this channel, there hasn't been a lot of clean, uh, setups. This is one of them. And so I'm still like stepping back and saying range lows, range peak. I still think if we get up here, 28, nine, I'm fading it. I'm looking to short if we can get there. Sure. But I don't know if we're going to get there. Do we test? We this would be high? massively. We would be already. We would be massively overbought if we got yeah. there. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, small moves are moving indicators really hard right now. Um, do you want me? Do you want to look at one? I don't really look at them, but yeah, I mean, we're Does in that death side, cross. Bother you right there? Which one? This one? Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. higher. The price is higher than when we death crossed. Yeah. So no. Yeah, I mean, me either. I'm just curious. Uh, we had on spaces one time. I yeah. think it was Gareth, Gareth mm-hmm. and Ben Cowan, and they were like, you know, you get this death cross, and it's real bad, and then but you do get a pump back up to retest it, and so maybe that's what's happened. But did they add? Did they add the proper context? Right. So um, here's here's the deal. Right. So moving averages. Right. With moving average across. I mean, yeah. A moving average. Not only that, my my good friend, you need a, a trend across and reverse from. So had it crossed here, you would have had more momentum. But you have you have a failure to cross, and now you have a cross in a sideways environment. So that's a muted signal. You have to look at the context of the price action. Number one, number two, the price relationship, the price vis-a-vis price distance. So here, when we're crossing, we're already down, you know, a certain percentage. So anybody who talks about moving average crosses, it's important to add that context in classical charting. So we were already down seventy percent from the cross. So whatever, right? Um, this. All this doesn't tell us anything we don't already know based on the weekly time frame. We've already marked out the trend. We already know where to watch. We already understand what's developing. We know the history of Bitcoin. We know the double top with the up thrust. We know the drop to the COVID drop. And now we know the drop to 15K. And then we know the head and shoulders. And we know we're above 25K. So blah, blah, blah. So that death cross doesn't do anything. It's a talking point. Um, and which is fine. People want talking points. People want to wrap up everything and meet tie it up with a bow and hand it off and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what's going to happen. But as you know, you've traded markets a long time. It's not really that. A lot of it is hurry up and wait and hurry up and wait for price interaction with a major level. Um, so, you know, that's what I would say in regards. It's to one of those ones where like in two months, they flatten out or whatever. And then we're talking yes. about like the sideways golden cross that comes yeah. after it. You know, if you want to talk about a moving average cross, we, we, Look at the eight and the 34. So, I mean, it's a little bit messy in my chart, but if I go ahead and I drop off a couple things, drop off the Bollinger Band, sorry, John, um, drop off that, right? So look at the eight and the 34, the green and the yellow, and you have after this topping pattern, 
It attempted to recross and bull momentum is thwarted. Thwarted. And here we almost set a bull cross. So you've got a little bit of a bears taking back over momentum. So what do we do with that information? So that just suggests to me there, you know, we should be ready for a retest of 25K, right? And so, but that doesn't really, you know, shouldn't really surprise us based on kind of the candle bodies, sorry, the candle structure and all that. But um, we essentially see the failed lower term moving average cross into the 50 failure, which means maybe we're going to head back down there, but maybe not. But if not, there's nothing to do, brother. Yeah, dude, I shared this. This is the, this is the same look at that at a four hour, right? I mean, this is the grayscale pump. These are nothing, there's nothing happening. Yeah, yeah, this was your buy. And listen, I, I, whatever, I bought. You know, I said I yeah. bought every, I've bought every time it's gone to 25 because prove me wrong, you know, but like this yeah. little sweep here and on the daily, that's probably a wick, you know, I mean, there, there's your little deviation, but like, I mean, look at, look at this price action around the middle of it. I mean, it's just like, there's, this is the clearest range we've had in a very long time. And I don't see any reason to be interested unless you're here or you're here. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Maybe here if you're uh, really right. antsy. Right. So we know time frames, right? Like, you know, we drop to lower time frame after volatility, right? And when the price is at a key level, and a lot of times, reasons. Uh, one of one of the reasons um, traders lose money is that they're trading the chop, they're trading the lack of structure. So what they're doing is, you know, with the price here, they're dropping like a one hour, four hour, fifteen minute, and they're convincing themselves there's a head and shoulders, you know, knees and toes pattern forming. You know, and they jump in and they overtrade. So um, train yourself to um, wait for volatility. Train yourself to understand that a good opportunity will jump up and hit you in the face, trading quotes. And that's, you know, that's kind of the point. You want something to really be obvious to you. Um, and, you know, maybe they're in altcoins. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Bitcoin isn't doing much, uh, you should buy at 25K, right? Because that, that's been defended by bulls for a long time. And until proven otherwise, you know, that's a demand zone right here. So we're talking about now since June, it's been defended. You can argue really since May, kind of 25 zone. So, you know, until proven otherwise, you're definitely buying any test really in the 25K range. Totally agree. Okay, so let's talk about two theoretical scenarios because everybody wants to know. What makes you think, hey, we're in the next bull run? Like, the next bull market is on and also what then gives you less confidence in this? Is it a clean break of 25? And if so, you know, where are we going or in your mind, where would you then be bidding or are you shorting a lot there? Well, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. What is the question? Like that's a, okay, here's a question. A if we, let's question. say, let's start here. Yeah. If we lose 25, what, yeah, how would you trouble. be looking to trade it? We'd be in big trouble. If we lose 25 K, I think we're looking at a higher low test. I think we probably dropped to 20 K. 20. Yeah. We have the, the weekly MA 200. We have the hammer off the weekly middle Bollinger band right here, right around 20 K. That's your higher low. So any type of a bottom. And we've seen, this is um, a little bit of the structure we're seeing on the price action with the daily right now. So where you have uh, a range low, it's lost. And then you have the recapture, right? And so then this is your low. And now we're looking for the higher low. Okay, it's got to be here. That's got to be defended. Here's the higher low we're trying to defend. So you think about a stair-stepping chart that continues and, and uses prior highs to continue to build momentum off of. So all that being said, should we lose this major higher low, Scott? We are on higher low watch um, here. Sure, we could chop around totally to here, but I think it would be devastating for the trend to lose 25k i think we will see 25 20 if we lose 25k yeah that that, that i mean that's exactly my thinking and a lot of people i've had on we've kind of said the same thing it's like if if we lose 25 i don't know that i'm shorting but i'm certainly like i'm short 20 ish i would definitely yeah. short i'm because yeah. you can have a very you would short the i'm assuming you'd short the retest of uh 25 as resistance which inevitably would happen yeah depending on what happened but if we drop 25 you know, I'd be looking to short and I'd add a, I've had my stop loss at like 25.4 or just above. I think it's a pretty obvious thing. It's a situation where the price had told us to watch here and we've been watching. So we really want to play off that level. It's price interaction at a key kind of momentum pivot point. You conversely, okay. Scott, we'd look for a spring. We'd look for a loss, you know, and recapture. We've yeah. talked about so, this. Right. And the reason, by the way, so then you said you'd have a tight stop and it would be a very small loss. And the whole point is to control your losses. Right. Get the yes, entry sir. you want where your stop is tight enough that you're invalidated with the smallest loss possible. Okay. Just for people who may be new here and not watching. Okay. So let's say that uh, we don't revisit 25. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we get that move up to that 28-ish area. I know you said you would uh, you would short there. What would be the next long above? Because a lot of people obviously look to long a break of a, cl- cl- a clear resistance, yeah. something like that. So what would you be looking for if this continues up and that gives us even more uh, confirmation that 25 is yet again a yes. higher low? No, that's a really good question. So upside trigger. I think um, a little more nuanced within this range. If you're looking potentially for maybe two candle closes above the MA50, you may use that because you have some grounds for a thesis based on the price rejections at the 50 here and there. It's a little more difficult, but using kind of like a two candle close above confirmation, maybe you can use that. But for me with a horizontal strategy, I'd say back up above 29K would be significant because you have the price telling you this is a demand zone. It's from you know all through July. It holds, it holds, it holds, it breaks. So you have a well-defined range low here right around 29K. So I think you can go long at 29K should that flip. Yeah, so very, as you said though, it's a very clear short on the first test. I think Hard so. Hard to beat the risk reward of that. Yeah, and, and especially you think about um, what the structure of the Bollinger Bands may be, should we get there? Because you may see it shoot up and then you'd be looking at a solid um, overextension, right? Or movement outside of a standard deviation of volatility above the Bollinger Bands. So um, that being said, Scott, right? It's, it's not always the price, it's how you get there. So another scenario, should we slowly drift? If we actually slowly drift, I may not short. That's right, because, because the, everything might not be overextended. Yes, it consolidates along the way. You're, you know, when you bleed, um, I, when I, when you bleed to a level, you know, usually you'll you'll go right through it. But with a quick volatile move, you get the overextension, then you're more likely to snap back. I love that we've spent 15 minutes just looking at Bitcoin in a boring sideways environment. To me, that's like uh, extreme alpha. So then the next question, then okay, you mm-hmm. get long there, but I do want to know, like, when would you be like, damn it, it's on. Like, let's start talking about 40s and 50s and 60s and hundreds, or do you just not think that way? Well, I don't, you know, I mean, I, you know, whatever. I mean, if I'm hanging out and I'm in between the first and second bottle of wine, maybe, but, um, you know, I generally, I think we're leaning, we've talked about this a lot, um, generally leaning, this is high time frame towards a kind of sideways, slow grind up. I just, I just think we are in a different phase. Yes, this time is different. We have weakening long term trend. I don't think we're just going to automatically shoot up and make shoot up and make a new all time high. Um, I think we could very easily drift sideways for a few years between like 20 and 50 K. I think yeah. that would be most logical to me and healthy. We still, oh God, you know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> this needs to consolidate. I mean, this is a, a very large price expansion from three K to 60 K down to 15. We really need to kind of just, churn here 2025 2026 i mean we're talking about many years out and so this will test your patience Uh, many traders will put market makers children through college paying trading fees and you know i I think that's what we're looking at you know in terms of it's on it's on i've always you know me and we've done this many times i'm level by level step by step um i want to see the trend build strength i want to see the trend um, I want to see once it flips 29K, turn it into support. I want, you know, just the way since we've uh, flipped 25K, we've held that as support so far. I'd like to see that continue uh, the health of construction of the chart to continue to improve uh, step by step. If I'm getting excited, my analysis will suffer. Yeah, totally true. I, listen, I have the weekly here. Right. Obviously, you can see that 25 level. It's so clear. But I've seen a lot of people this week saying, oh, my God, terrible weekly candle right here. We're going down. This right. One? It, this one last week. The you know, Is the, it that uh, bad? Is this no, like, and then I, that, which I was just going to say, I mean, isn't this just sideways? There's wicks up, yeah. there's wicks down. There's just utter indecision. I mean, this is just chop. That doesn't mean to me yeah. that we're going down. When I see that, it's all about context, right? Yeah, it's a, it's not that big a range either. This can't be a terrible candle when it represents really just, you know, 26.3. I mean, we're talking about a, like a, you know, $1,000 range candle within, within this this price structure, this this array of candles. So that's not that big a deal. Um, and again, it's within a sideways market. Yes, you know, you wanted some more follow-up given the large red, small body, the momentum, right? Nice green outside bar. Sure, you'd like a little more follow-through, but... But, 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 um, you know, you're below the 200 and you've got some bare momentum. So it's fine. You're, you're just consolidating. And, um, 
it's not yeah. great, but it's not terrible either. Yeah, I, I agree. So listen, I have to ask you the uh, 100x gem question. Sure. Do you even care about all coins right now? Like, are you yeah, definitely. No, I do. I mean, for, for Bitcoin Live, you know, I'm covering them twice a week. So I have to stay on top of it. Um, cool. have, so what are you actually looking at? I can tell you what, I can just give you a quick rundown of what are sure. the best. And you can see them here. This is what I'm covering. Um, for example, like INJ is still one of the best looking altcoins. Good. Yeah. And we're right at the good, 200. Yeah. So that's an area of interest. Um, Ant looks really good. I've been covering this. This is some beautiful consolidation now flexing a weekly breakout. I've been covering this one. This is a nice looking chart, right? Ant, Ant, right? Yeah. Binance. Yeah. I'm trying not to cover stuff on like. Qcoin. Yeah. You know, really. HTX. You know, uh, you know. Coinflex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coin Daddy. Seven, like whatever. Coin Data Faceballs. Yeah. Right, like Rune All still looks awesome pretty strategy. good. Here's Rune. Daily chart. Still looks pretty good. It's still shaking out. It's still above most of the momentum, uh, most of the moving averages. Rune looks pretty good. TRX looks good. Look at that. Nice little ascending triangle. Dude. I don't know if you know this. I, I think I, I'm going to misquote this, but I had done like maybe a month or two ago, a newsletter on, you know, looking at the top 10 or top 20 or top 30 of previous cycles and then looking at what they are now and just how yeah. different it is and how much they've been replaced. I think since last cycle, there's three things that have actually are actually up in price. It's Bitcoin, Ethereum and TRX. No way. Nobody well, gives you, this thing credit, but it's actually one of like the three best performing assets if you look at it cycle to cycle. Well, you know, every morning I meditate and then I pray to my shrine of his ex excellency, uh, Justin Sun, because yeah. he's been. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, yeah, TRX, it's been a, I mean, it's a nice chart, though. And then within the triangle, it's perfect. And you talk about structure within structure. Do you see anything else in here? Do you see anything nice and clean in here that just plays? Yeah, out? an inverse head and shoulders. Yeah, beautiful shoulder, head, shoulder with a neck base, clearly defined, a breakout and a retest. So this gave you, I mean, this is ABC. Yeah. So TRX, beautiful. How about Maker? Yeah. That's cool. No, not loving that wick. Which one? Yeah, the, the, today. Yeah, it ain't we're halfway yet. through. It's true, yeah. but it ain't done. Just like me and you. It ain't yeah, done yet, good. right? Yeah. And done. we're pushing higher. So that's a nice show. We've already covered some decent charts. Then we start to get a little more, you know, iffy, iffy down here that we're covering. But um, like, for example, this one's pretty good. TRB. This one came to my attention by a member requesting it. Now I'm going to cover it. Look at TRB. That's a nice momentum. We'll zoom out. It's uh, like see, a 4X okay. in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, it's right? 4X I mean, in a couple of days. Uh, we'll go Jesus. weekly so we can kind of see what's going on there. Sure, you're likely to pause here, but you've got strong momentum. Sure, you're, you know, you're going to buy a weekly EMA eight test. But this is still some nice consolidation here. Tons of volume too. Yeah. Tons of volume. So that's decent. And so that's kind of, you know, I'm sure there's better stuff out there. This is all ranging stuff. This is bad. I didn't expect this, guys. I didn't expect this. I, I didn't expect to see all these bullish charts. I kind of yes. gave up on looking at all coin charts, and there's a lot. Yes. Here. Well, that's this is a treatise, if I can sound fancy, you know, on, on relative strength, you know, when much of the market's not doing much. I mean, if you, if I was to show, if I were to show you this ETH BTC chart, you'd tell me, man, all coin market sucks. Yeah. And because um, this is generally a proxy. And look at this. Look at this underside retest potentially here rejecting. Um, but there's, Maybe there's it's just not a proxy anymore. I don't know. I don't Maybe know. Maybe we've ceased to proxy from ETH. Maybe we have so many yeah. altcoins that, you know, they all can't just follow Ethereum. Well, there's argument for that because I, I opened up the, I opened the door earlier, Scott, when I talked about the weakening high time frame trend in Bitcoin. Right. And so, we've, you know, historically, since the beginning that we've been doing this, you've had the Bitcoin, then Ethereum, then Litecoin. And that's corresponded with neat and clean you know, 80% moves and blah, blah. And so maybe with that changing, maybe that is the case that we don't necessarily see or uh, gain as much by watching ETH BTC. And maybe because, you know, where's the Ethereum pump at with all this consolidation? It's, it's been absent. Um, yeah, it has. I don't know. I, can we just real quick, I, the whole like ETF hype, I'm not convinced that's good for us. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too dumb. Dude, it's one of those here, here's my theory. I'm going to let you give yours. I shouldn't have interrupted you, but now I'm, going, you I'm already talking. We're so, talking. Um, go. I think that the ETF move was BlackRock's filing that got us from 25 to 31. And now an approval would maybe get us to 31. I think yeah. we saw the move forecasted. I mean, yeah. and then over time, I think it would be meaningful because obviously if it actually did AUM. But I think that that news event is like it ends up because now it's so priced in or it's so It's got to be priced in. 
it's I think we saw the excitement of that yes. on the announcement. That was right. it. Twenty-five to thirty-one in a week was a huge move. Isn't but there, I mean, right then there's but there's the theory right that these ETS will have to buy the underlying asset and hold it right is that okay, so that's, that's what I said I think then there's that's like a having thing it's like uh, months over months a slow grind I up see. sure but but I'm talking about like you get that move that people buy on news and yes. you just go that's, crazy so that's Silicon Valley true. Bank yeah you know when that happened we saw that massive move twenty to twenty five or whatever yeah. and we stepped up yeah so. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I think I, just my message to anybody who's listening to the to the four people listening. No, I'm just kidding because uh, it's quiet out there. There's 12. My 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 apologies to all 12 of you. Um, don't buy or sell based on the ETF. I mean, buy or sell based on Bitcoin holding 25k. Like, drop the mic. Yeah, I totally agree. Any last thoughts before I allow you to exit the premises? Challenge yourself. Yeah. Attack your weakness. Challenge yourself. Don't accept, you know, uh, who you are today. Just, just try to get better and then uh, say, but today's pretty good. Today's a great day and I'm happy I'm here. Uh, you just described exactly why I still play golf. <laughs> nice. That's why I'm challenge myself. You suck. Guys, it's going to be fine. It's going to get better. I, I swear. Isn't that one just... of those things, you know, with I'd ask you because I, I, I like to play basketball and I'm over time like, wow, I'm actually hitting more shots. Do you feel like you're... All of a sudden, worse. no, it's worse. No, I, I, it's a degeneracy. I think it's all, I don't know if it's all mental or whatever, like yeah. bad elbows, messed up wrists, shoulders, swing changes. Just doesn't, doesn't improve much for me. Sad. Stopped um, working on it. Now, actually, yeah. when I play less, I think I'm doing a little better. So you can always take fine. up knitting or um, on the golf Sudoku, course. Sudoku, Sudoku, Knit, yes. Sudoku between shots. I think that could yes. keep the mental game tight. That yeah. would keep it tight, man. All right, man. Well, listen, guys, everybody follow Big Cheds, of course. Also, uh, any new books, any new anything? I haven't asked you in a while. I've been yet. working on a lot of like personal projects. I'm still working on. So I'm well, thanks Maybe. for asking. So uh, I this year I rewrote all three of these books this year um, wow. to reflect a more mature trading style. Trading quotes. I'm, I'm working on the audible. It's about a half done. When it's done, I'm going to put the whole book out for free on YouTube. I'm just going to read one chapter at a time. So that's like been my project the last six months is redoing the cancer memoir and reading it over and over and over again is painful, but that's how you grow. So I'm working on this and then my trading journal book will be out next year at some point, but I'm working on other projects. So that may be delayed a little bit. Love it, man. Well, everybody go buy all those Thank things. You. Read all those things. Get them for free on my YouTube. Free. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, whatever you gotta do, just uh, go work on your knowledge. As you said, perfect time for it. Thanks, Cheds. See you, brother. All right, guys, off to Twitter spaces. It's that time. It's in about 20 minutes, 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will, of course, be back here tomorrow doing this again, guys. It has been a pleasure. It always is. I love being here. Even if it's four or 12 people, it's not what matters. We do it because we love doing it. It's all I got for you guys. See you tomorrow. Peace. Let's go.